You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloo, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Luke. This episode comes to you from the Reservoir Center for Water Solutions in Washington, D.C., where Waterloop is a media partner. This is episode number 203, From Engineers to Volunteers. There's a common misconception that water and sanitation issues only affect developing countries. But there's an urgent need for intervention in the United States, where a staggering 2 million people lack access to basic services. In this episode, Boris Martin, CEO of Engineers Without Borders USA, sheds light on the transformation of 14,000 engineers into dedicated volunteers. Boris delves into the formidable challenges faced by underserved communities across the U.S. when it comes to accessing crucial financial resources for water. He highlights the instrumental role of volunteers in the Community Engineering Corps, where they engage with communities, conduct needs assessments, and produce pre-engineering reports to secure essential funding. Boris also shares insights into the growing influx of students and young professionals eager to create a positive impact, the valuable mentorship provided by veteran engineers, and the deeply rewarding experiences that come with helping communities gain water access. Boris, really happy to sit down with you for this conversation. Talk about Engineers Without Borders. Going to dig into the situation in the U.S. in a little bit, but first, could you tell people about your organization Mm -hmm. and what you do? Nice. Thanks for having me, Travis. It's really nice to be here. Uh, Engineers Without Borders USA was founded 20 years ago, more or less, um, as an idea that engineers could make a difference in communities around the world um, in accessing their basic infrastructure needs access to clean water with a pump or with a gravity-fed system, access to electricity, uh, access to footbridges, uh, to access markets. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so many communities around the world, and here including in the U.S., as you alluded to, uh, that need those basic services and can't really access them. Mm -hmm. And so we thought the engineering profession can make a difference. What if we had engineers come and step up and give some of their expertise, give some of their time, mobilize resources, to serve those communities that have been historically excluded or underserved. Uh, we've grown into a uh, giant network in the U.S., 14,000 volunteers uh, really join the organization every year because they make the decision to volunteer with EWB every year. Uh, we have 4,000 new members joining on a yearly basis. 75% of them are undergraduate students, 25% are professionals. We're organized in 230 chapters across the country. And we support between 300 and 500 projects uh, here domestically in the, in the U.S. and uh, internationally, obviously, in 39 countries. Wow. Um, yeah. hey, I think most, a lot of people, the public, if you will, they hear Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. That's probably one. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's awesome. They've got the engineers in, mm-hmm. in here, too. The U.S., uh, could you talk about the situation in the U.S.? I mean, I'm always stunned still to think about 2 million people without... Mm-hmm safe water, sanitation, and then so many more needs out there. Could you talk just about the U.S. situation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd start with a story. Sure. Uh, Imagine a young couple just got married in a city like Boston or, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they you know work small jobs they like gig economy um, work remotely but they really want to buy a house so one day they just drive out of town and they go as far as it needed to be able to afford a place that's a pretty classic pattern and they end up in a community of 40 50 households uh, and they buy a small place a bungalow in the middle of the woods really uh, everything goes well, they're super happy in their community, but people in the neighborhood are also very low-income uh, families. Everything goes well, and as you know, families do, they have a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, and when the baby turns two months old, then something happens in the house. They turn on the taps, and now it's yellow, brown, and... They're confused. What's going on? Why, why is our water turning brown now? What's, going, what's happening? So after the shock of discovering that, they will call the county and say, hey, you know, uh, our water's dirty. Could you come and fix it? That's when they find out that they're not on a public system. They're on a privately owned, shared pumping station, water treatment station uh, that's been falling in disrepair for the past 35, 40 years. And when they ask the county what would it take to actually fix that, the bill is two and a half million dollars. Mm. So they can't afford it. No one in this, well, no one in that little community can afford it. Uh, and so the mom is there bathing her baby in dirty water, uh, shedding tears of rage, frankly, and frustration mm. at the situation. Uh, that's, as you said, two million people around the country. And this is just, you know, it's not, it's a real story that I told you because yeah. I've met people in similar situations. I've combined the average of multiple <laughs> situations. There are communities that face situations where the water is polluted, uh, you know, for chemicals or it could be, uh, just the system is, you know, falling apart. Uh, and they just don't have the resources to fix it. Mm. And I just, like I said, I don't think that the vast majority of the American public or population realizes mm -hmm. how frequent this happens in the United States in the 21st century. Yeah. They may think, or sometimes I think, why is not the federal government rushing in? Why is not state agencies rushing in? Why are not local entities rushing in, government, yes. right, and fixing this? Oh, let's build this infrastructure real quick. Let's repair this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I guess that's not happening, and it creates a need for yeah. volunteers and nonprofit groups, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just because, really, that's not the way it works. Um, I would say there is, like, you know, when you think about infrastructure, I think Americans think about the big pieces of infrastructure, right? Like, and the American Society for Civil Engineers has a report every year that also states that our large-scale infrastructure gets, on the water and sanitation side, gets a C-. minus. Mm. So we have large-scale challenges. And the infrastructure bill in the U.S. is really addressing that and putting a significant amount of resources behind it. But when you look at the grassroots at the small community level, the picture is very unequal, right? Some communities are so small that they're what we would call underserved, meaning like they just can't afford any service. It's not really profitable to do business there as an engineering company. And so those communities simply can't access the basic services they would need there's also overburdened communities that are downwind from industry or downstream from industry or in historically, you know, industrial areas that might have chemicals in the water that, you know, so there's a, a, a very a big diversity of challenges. 
And you could say, you know, in the current context, there is money for these communities available. Mm. There's a, in fact, the, the most amount of money that we've ever seen in the, in the sector in, with the infrastructure bill. But the challenge is how do these communities then access it? You need mm. to present your case. You need to present it in a competent way. You need to have done your needs assessment in a, in a way that is compelling and rigorous, professional, <laughs> and before you can access funds. You know, the EPA is oftentimes, I've met with EPA, you know, uh, agents that say it's really difficult to get communities to, in fact, be able to access our funding. And we, I've met with community leaders who have tried and tried again to apply and failed. And <laughs> so they, you know, the, the language might not be there, the technical you know, and so this is where engineer, engin- like volunteer engineers, are really key in making, in answering that need. Yeah, you have. So you have this, you know, engineers without borders, thirty-nine countries, right? Mm-hmm. Big international mm-hmm. presence, but you have a special program for the United States, the Community yeah. Engineering Corps. Yes. Could you talk about that and and how that works? Yeah. So um, in realizing the need in in across the country. Engineers Without Borders USA, in partnership with the American Water Works Association and the American Society for Civil Engineers, launched the Community Engineering Corps. And it's a partnership of, you know, engineering membership organizations mobilizing volunteers to then respond to the technical needs of communities that otherwise could not afford them. Um, so we've built this platform. Communities can apply. And... Um, we're not going to build stuff for them. There is a plenty of construction, engineering construction companies that can do that. But that pre-engineering report, this kind of like the needs assessment, bringing the community together to figure out what exactly is the path they want to go down, because oftentimes there's multiple you know, possible paths for a community in accessing clean water. Uh, and so helping the community make those decisions, build a case, present it in a professional way with the right engineering information in it so that uh, then the the state funds available or federal funds available can be uh, mobilized. Yeah. How do uh, how are the connections made between the Community Engineering Corps mm-hmm. and the communities? Do they find you all and reach out or how, how does yeah, that all come yeah, about? Yeah. yeah. So they can find us online and with word of mouth, it's happening. But we also have amazing partners around the country that are already at the grassroots supporting communities in a variety of needs. Uh, the rural, um, um, RCAP, R- rural, rural Community Assistance, community Par- assistance yeah. Partnership uh, is one of those organizations, a phenomenal partner for us. Mm. And they have connection and trust with so many communities around the, the US, they might not have access to the engineering capacity needed. Mm. So then we become a technical partner to their work and so they also channel and, you know, sort of get projects, uh, send, send communities our way okay. uh, to apply on the C Corps platform. And that services part that, that your volunteers provide, a lot of that is that uh, pre-design, evaluating a situation, yeah. uh, helping to put together a, almost a proposal of what needs to happen in this community. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. A- and um, I think there is something also a bit... Um, maybe more profound than just the technical. Sitting down with people and listening to their challenges and uh, being empathetic to them Mm. and sort of being a bit of a solidarity, you Mm. know, sort of 
there with, with the whole community because oftentimes there's a lot of frustration. Mm. There's also like making sense of what we want to do together. It's not just a technical challenge. There's also the part of like coming together and, you know, the d debating different paths forward for the community. And sometimes agreement is not easy to find. Mm. Uh, so there's all of that aspect. The solidarity, but then afterwards, you're right. Like it's the it's a very rigorous technical process of assessing what is feasible, what is affordable, what's the scope and scale of what needs to be done. And we've had success because with twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of engineering services, in some situations, we've unlocked a million dollars worth of funding for that community. So for us, there's a catalytic effect, right? Like we can use those philanthropically raised funds that help us operationalize the whole process to really unlock a new scale of resources. Yeah, and that's what that a big thing the community was lacking was the capacity, the the knowledge to put together that type of proposal yes. and and then to go get the funding. Like yep. you, you need yep. that professionally assembled to get to get the funding. I wanted to ask you, and you've talked about it a little bit, is is that kind of collaborative approach with the communities. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's a real point of emphasis. They don't yeah. feel like they're alone anymore. You, they have people that come in that care, that want to yeah. help them. Yeah. But it also is really trying to let them drive what the project's going to look like. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it's a two-way street, mm. you know. Um, for our volunteer engineers, they also get to meet people they would not have met otherwise. Mm. Um, they form real bonds of friendship. And, um, they, yeah, it's a meaningful experience of applying your skills to a real-world, real um, you know, felt challenge uh, and to be connected directly with the community. But you're right. There's a bit of a um, we're proud of that, the fact that we're supporting all of our teams to kind of like do this, what we call community engineering, which is kind of sitting down with people and really respecting their priorities, mm. listening to those priorities. And I've had, I've met with community leaders who've told me like, when, because I'm, I'm, I speak to them saying like, look, we're, I'm, I'm a service provider and you're my client. So as the client, now that the project is done, I want to know how we did mm. and how could we do better? And one of the most touching things that I heard is someone who said, look, you know, your team really, I felt respected the entire way. I'm not an engineer, but never was I feeling like I was out of my depth because your people really explained every choice that we had to make. And then I presented the case to the, in that, in that situation with like the state uh, funding department. And I felt strong and you know, capable of representing my own community because I had the terms and I understood them. Mm. And for me, it's uh, that's that's as important as the quality of the technical report. Sure. And the people coming in and helping are largely volunteers, right? And yeah. so they're they're going that extra mile to really listen. You know, yeah. sometimes when you're volunteering, you're like, oh, I'm doing this for free, and I'm you know, but they have a real commitment mm -hmm. to those communities. That's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to circle back, as you mentioned, a huge portion of kind of maybe the people are, are undergraduate students or recent graduates yeah. or whatever. So uh, why do you think there's that big surge in participation or, or just membership from mm -hmm. young, young people? Well, um, I joined engineering because I wanted to make a difference. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was fed, you know, the equations and the, the math, the physics. <laughs> and sometimes you forget and you, you lose touch with that kind of primary motivation, right? Mm. Like it's hard. And then other other priorities come in, like your family, your house, your, you know, like you want to earn money. And so, 
And Genius Without Borders has become a place where people who want to cultivate that sense of purpose and mm. reground their professional practice into the meaning of what it what it means for 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 communities and for people, they join Engineers Without Borders, and then giving some of their time allows for us to do things that otherwise the the mainstream engineering mm. just never reaches. Sure, underserved, overburdened communities. Yeah, I uh, want to talk about some examples, you know, mm-hmm. of, of some projects that have been done around the U.S. through Engineers Without Borders. Yeah. Just some of the success stories, some of the solutions. Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. love you to share some of those uh, with me. Yeah, for sure. Um, the story of a small community in uh, rural Ohio uh, who was um, 50 years ago connected to the next uh, town mm. to access clean water. Um, with a, like a steel main pipe and a, and a, and a pump station, like a sort of a pressure building station. And when they did that, they, like a water management committee of volunteers from the community was formed. Um, and then 50 years later, uh, the water contaminant in, like the contaminant levels in the water, they've received multiple, uh, warnings from the EPA that they're out of compliance. The pressure in the in the pipe is going down to less than 20 psi. Uh, so the the there's just like the water quality is going down, and the water management committee is overwhelmed. Mm. They don't know how to you know there's the, the the amount of water they're paying from the next door uh, you know town versus what they are actually providing people is also you know there's a, a big discrepancy between the two. So like there's leaks somewhere in the completely overwhelmed as to how to actually handle that. Yeah. Um, so they call upon Engineers Without Borders and the, the Community Engineering Corps program. Mm-hmm. We assemble a, commu- uh, a team of volunteers, a couple professional engineers mentoring a group of students that mm-hmm. come in. So the students get a learning experience. The professional engineers get to, to do something meaningful for their community, sometimes the next door town, right? Like it's mm-hmm. oftentimes people doing that on their way to work or, you know, it's like, on their commute. So it's not far, you know, they're right around us. Um, And then over the course of a couple of years, assess the situation, provide alternatives to the community, and then secure more than a million dollars to get the whole system refurbished. Mm. That's a great example. I love that point you just made that it's not like some situation happens in rural Oregon and you send some volunteer engineers from Georgia up there. Mm -hmm. You have this network across the country. And so people can, that's even making more of a difference, right? When Mm -hmm. it's like your great, greater community. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And I love that idea that students often are brought in Mm -hmm. so they learn they get mentored and it, it provides meaning to what they are learning in class and mm. it you know and they, they get a real tangible example of what doing engineering means and yeah. oftentimes the volunteers say oh my god i hadn't realized it would be such a difficult process to get people to agree with each other <laughs> <laughs> hey welcome the, welcome to the to, to the, the world, world yeah right? <laughs> that's <laughs> a big realize, lesson yeah, yeah you realize that the the dimensioning of the pipes that's the easy part mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I bet the the experienced volunteer engineers value this opportunity to work with students too and like Absolutely. kind of provide the their mentorship, yeah. cultivating there's the sense of pride in the profession. And yeah. my dream is that engineers realize that part of the ethos of the profession is to give back. 
So uh, how can people get involved if they're watching this, listening to this? Mm -hmm. What are the ways that, that people can get involved in, in EWB and, and what different things can they do as volunteers? Yeah. Uh, so we have a platform, Community Engineering Corps, where people can sign up, provide their name, so, and get information about where the needs are, where the projects are. And because we are now partnered in multiple technical assistance centers that the Environmental Protection Agency is putting in place yeah. under the infrastructure bill, um, the number of projects at eCore is going to grow mm. very fast in the next few years. So there's a call out to uh, volunteers to join, and now is the opportunity to be part of one of those very meaningful projects. Mm. So people can give their name, give their CVs, explain to us when they're available, where they're available, and we manage the database in the back end to make sure that we can optimize teams and, and provide support. Yeah. Um, but frankly, it's also a little bit about the, the funding that allows us to do that. People can contribute financially. Not everyone has hours on end to give to projects. Uh, and it's the small donations of everybody that actually makes this catalytic effort possible. Mm. And I'm so proud of the efficiency of our work. You know, it's like for every dollar that we give us, we can unlock a hundred dollars worth of community resources. So it's something. It's it's a it's a strong value proposition as well for people who say like, hey, I want to be part of this effort, and I'll do it with a little bit of my charitable donations. Right. Um, that's another way to engage. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I'm very happy and curious to learn about the way that these environmental finance centers and these technical assistance centers are mm -hmm. kind of helping to pull organizations like yours yep. in. It makes a lot of sense. There's great groups like Engineers Without Borders, yeah. like RCAP, yeah, exactly. right? Like pull all these together, together into this like ecosystem yeah. of, of yeah, providers. Exactly. So it's a one-stop shop for communities. Now, if they have different kinds of needs, engineering included, then they can call upon, they can basically express their needs in this, like in the technical assistance center, and then we receive the call yeah. and we respond. It makes me very hopeful because this is tough. This is t a tough, it's mm -hmm. complex. It's a, it's a big country. There's all these projects. There's all this money. There's all this paperwork, yeah. right? There's all this need. Yeah. Uh, but that makes me hopeful to hear that that's kind of coalescing together and mm -hmm. to have your organization involved. That's key. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, Boris, thank you so much for the conversation. Thanks for what you're doing out there. And I look forward to following it more as, as you go, yeah. go on and make more impact. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. You're in the Waterloop. You're in the Waterloop.